Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. As always, good to see you. And you too, sir. And Today. I noticed we're, we're matching. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This wasn't very well planned. <laughs> when you got up this morning, were you just like... I reckon Ben's going to wear his super seat t-shirt. Felt like it felt like today's the day to to wear super seat shirts. But fortuitously enough, today is our first ask us anything AUA. What's it normally? AMA. AMA. Ask but, me anything. But there's two of us. So I feel ask us not just asking one of us. Oh. It's a joint effort. I think it was AUM. Ask us under management. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll get maybe we'll get there. Question um, one. <laughs> Do you have any assets under management that you want to disclose to the listeners of the Reinsurance Podcast? Yeah, exactly. Give us investment advice. We've already told, been told we can't give you investment advice on this podcast. We can't give you any advice. Don't listen to anything we say. <laughs> we're, we're slowly molding the young minds of reinsurance on the Reinsurance Podcast. Um, so, so what, what so is I've the got my I've got my laptop here. We've got some questions coming through. Are they coming? Th- so you haven't seen these questions before? I've not seen these. They, and they haven't even arrived yet? No. Understand. So it's at the moment you've got a blank page. Yeah, I have a blank page with one question pre-populated. Okay. And the others will pr- progress as we as we successfully. I feel it like levels, right? You have to successfully complete the question before you get another one passed to you. It's like those rings you have to pass before you can. Are we doing one each or mix and match? Uh or base. Just, yeah, we'll see how we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. In true reinsurance right, podcast fashion, we're going to have no <laughs> rules. Um, so first question, um, why did you decide to build your own thing, i.e. supersede, rather than go work for Guy Carpenter or stay at Aon and develop their existing solutions, those, those being AB Connect and GC Marketplace? That's a good question. I, I think for us, you, you could put emphasis on so many different words on on that question because you could say, "Why did you?" Build? <laughs> but I think it was less about us, really. In yeah. some ways, it was more about this crisis moment of the industry, where you know, AB Connect and, and GC Marketplace were were great for Aon and Guy Carpenter, but they weren't the only brokers in the space. Yeah. What were all the other brokers going to do? And I think all the brokers were sat there going, "Do we now have to spend millions on building our own systems as well?" Yeah. And all the reinsurers, meanwhile, were going, oh, dear, if yeah. we have to log into 10 different systems, you know, every renewal season and be like constantly jumping back and forwards between them, that's going to kill us. Yeah. And so initially, I think that was one of the main things for us. It was trying to figure out how this was going to get solved. Yeah. Um, it so happened that afterwards we realized that we might actually be able to be the ones to start something after yeah. a heck of a lot of research and yeah. <laughs> trying to figure it out. Yeah, I, I think the other thing that we recognized really early on was that to, to that point, one, the worst case scenario is 20 solutions that every underwriter has to sort of have access to and that all work differently, et cetera. Um, and that the industry wouldn't use Aon's tool and the industry wouldn't use Guy Carpenter's tool. Those, those underwriters are happy to sort of log on and, and follow what those big firms want them to do, but you're not going to see Willis going, oh, Aon, can we use your placement platform or you know, Guy Carpenter, can we, like, you were never going to see that. So there was always this need for something to happen that would be independent. Um, and then I think having bo- both of us worked at the big firms, a little bit of kind of setting out and having the autonomy and so sort of going, well, if we think we should do it this way, I don't need to sort of convince someone else that that's the way we should do it. You know, we just have to convince each other that like that, that's a good way to do it. And I think that there's an appeal to that, um, 
maybe following on from our M&A conversation, the same reason people might go, I'm going to leave that underwriting firm because I had a different thesis than those, those people did. We can test that out a bit more with a bit more freedom. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it underlines a lot of the reason we insist so heavily on independence as well, right? Because yeah. not only for the reinsurers would it have been a pain to have to log into 20 different systems, but as we started working more and more with students as well and really trying to help all parties in the reinsurance deal-making process, whether you're buying, broking, or underwriting, I, as a student, you don't want to have to go into a different system to track each deal you're doing. But you do want to be able to work with lots of different broker partners. Yeah. And, and likewise, so it just makes sense to have an independent, independent uh, system that everybody can, can use freely as much or as, as, as they want to, really. Yeah, and I think when you're sitting between those parties... It, it provides a really interesting and valuable lens. Anytime a single firm builds something, like they're always client number one. They're doing it for other, you know, partners or similar, and they want those partners to have a good experience, of course. But at the end of the day, it has to benefit them a little bit more because that's what that's why they're investing so much in it. Where we sit quite nicely now between those things going, oh, we're doing this for these people and those for those people. Like this is, it's all okay because we're just trying to service the group. Um, we want everybody to have a nice party. Everyone. <laughs> Not just the party. birthday boy. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets the most cake. Um, this one's for you, Ben. Um, Ooh. Gary from Chicago asks. Really? Do you, do you get that reference? I don't. Oh, it sounds like an American <laughs> reference. It is an American. It was a, a Facebook earnings call <laughs> meme that went around this week. Nah, I missed that. Um, but we didn't talk to Facebook. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, what is the most outrageous risk that ever landed on your desk during your time as an underwriter? That is a, that's an interesting question. I'm so so actually getting it to land on the desk was. It wouldn't make it on the desk if it was too outrageous. Mm -hmm. um, because the really outrageous ones were more like people wandering around, kind of a bit lost, sure. and being like, do you guys do this? I, like There was something... Do, do all the underwriters sort of do one of these like eye-shielding kind of this? Like, like genuinely, they do. just roaming aimlessly quick to divert your case. Yeah, no, I, I remember there was one, one broker who came over and an hour liability team were out for some reason i don't can't remember they're a conference or something or a lunch or whatever but they came around and they're like does your liability team do adult toys and i was like i don't know i, I do hurricanes <laughs> like maybe but look, somebody does presumably right my claim over the week <laughs> well that, that's, a, that's a massive presumably that's a massive liability risk right you know yeah. there's quite a God, sensitive I, I didn't know if we did it but, but there's people going around the market in the nsfw space yeah I would, you know it's a, it's a genuine risk that, yeah you know people's bodies are they're real yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah so that was the probably one of the more surprising ones yeah uh, one of the one of the other things I found from the stuff that actually did land on our desk quite surprising was how many like nicknames go around the market for different mm. clients. Like usually, like if you can turn any client's name into something vaguely like primary school age funny yeah. by changing like two of the letters, <laughs> that happened for like one out of three accounts. So, yeah. <laughs> students out there, yeah. your brokers and reinsurers are probably referring to you by a slightly amusing alternative version of your name. Yeah. So. Watch out for your that. favorite broker. Not your favorite one. <laughs> the other ones. Um, uh, what is it like running a reinsurance, a reinsure tech startup? Oh, you better take this one. 
Oof. Um, it's it's an it's a roller coaster at times. You know, it, I think when when we've set out, we've gone through these sort of really exciting highs, and then you have things that you, you things are harder than you expect. And for both of us, it's our it's our first company, and so there's a huge learning curve at times where you've never experienced how to do certain things, and you know you can only learn so much from. Um, from books or mentors or things like that, I think we're at a point now where we've we've sort of escaped a lot of the early chaos. You know, when when we were going around in the earliest days, raising our very first bits of money, very very stressful. You know, getting your first few employees, very very stressful. And you, I think for me anyway, um, doing that part right with the early employees was was really important, but really hard. You really concerned about making mistakes there and, and recognizing that people were quitting other jobs to, to join you. And if you, if you made mistakes on all manner of little things that like that would, you know, so I always put a huge amount of weight on getting that right. But, um, it's been, it's been a really, really fun ride so far. Um, we're not nearly done, but it's, it's been, it's been good. Yeah, I'd agree. Steepest possible learning curve, I would yeah. say, which is what we both wanted. I think yeah. when we when we before we quit, you know, we started learning about the space, became mentors at startup bootcamp in Shortech, and started going to you know interesting tech meetups and things yeah. to just to learn how much we didn't know. Yeah, I, and that whole process of education, I think, was was amazing because as a as somebody running a tech startup, you're not just thinking about customers, you're not just thinking about your internal people, you're also thinking about investors, you're also thinking about your general stakeholders more generally, you know, which could be anything from, you know, HMRC in the UK, your your sort of tax organizations, your your lawyers, your your investor community, all sorts of different characters that in a normal job as an employee, you probably don't have to worry about. Uh, The amount of time we've spent learning about strange accounting requirements and, and things and, yeah. and legal and HR and, you know, health and safety and employment law, all sorts of stuff that otherwise you wouldn't get to have much exposure to in, in quite a traditional big firm role. Yep. Uh, it's been really enlightening and, and a sort of roll your sleeves up learning approach. Yeah, I think there is certainly like a vertical learning curve, right? <laughs> um, like a slide, like a, like a death slide, but, but upwards. Yeah. Um, I remember reading something a long time ago was that the the more sort of voracious you are as a learner, like the better chance you have at this. Because there's there's an adage about like in the early days, like it's the founders who are like putting the furniture together. No, Ikea furniture is pretty basic. <laughs> order it, you follow the instructions with the pictures and you're good to go. But it's it's like, how do how does this tax incentive work for early investors when there's two different schemes in the UK? And what does that mean for investors who aren't there? Like, well, better learn about that. Like, and it, so it's it's not only just what does the client want, build a good product. I think there those are mm-hmm. the things that you perceive as like, how do you get a good product? How do you get it to market? How do you price it or think about those kinds of things but it's like all of the stuff that you don't see that like that's like when you talk about founders working quite long hours or late it's like it's it's not the stuff that you think about it's more of the okay so i'm reading up on like uk tax law for (laughs) option schemes and this is what i'm learning Mm. it's like it's all of that stuff that i think is is 
is an interesting thing. It's a difficult thing at times as well because it taxes your mental resources on, on, on it. But um, it's been a really fun journey. As we grow and as we get bigger, we can begin to offload some of those tasks. You hire people who can do that thing better because <laughs> you learned enough to get you to where you are now. But but now it's time to sort of bring on someone who actually knows how to do this for a job. <laughs> and, and that's a nice transition to, to get to. And, and as you scale, you have different problems and different challenges you face. But um, it's, it's been immensely rewarding. And, and we've talked about before, uh, you know, both of us are huge supporters of people starting companies and, and uh, of, entrepreneur, uh, of entrepreneurs. So we would encourage people to do it. But do so with eyes wide open. It's it's definitely yeah. not for the faint of art. Indeed. Um, New question arrived. <laughs> Gary from Chicago. Um, I accidentally shrunk my jumper to an extra small. Can I donate it to Ben <laughs> so he can wear it on the podcast? Um. Yes. No. <laughs> I would. Start, I, I was going to say. Send us if people send us gifts. We I will wear a gift on the podcast. The, the, yeah. I mean, I I would wear it. I I, I don't want to mislead people into thinking that you know i'm not choosy day about my jumpers that's true you might get that impression watching the videos the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the, the yeah. choice for me um but it just but, it, it speaks more to the selection at the shropshire shop yeah that's a that's, that's a tongue, a tongue twister right there i pulled that off um it's more of a testament to that selection versus your own but, but threshold of okay quality r-e-i-s-s yeah how would you say that shop i'd say reese Oh, okay. I've been saying rice. German would put I, really? well, E-I as the I sound. In England and America, I, I think we probably would actually go E. So yeah. I don't know where they're from, but they have an extra small range, which I got very excited about the yeah. other day. So more shops if do you seem to things from Reese that you don't want, certainly send them our way. We <laughs> <laughs> we'll, link, we'll link in the show description to our favorite stores. Um, uh how do you think climate change affects reinsurance? Ooh, good question. Check out our episode on, did we do a climate change dedicated to, was it ESG in general? We did ESG in general. Oh, okay, check out our future episode <laughs> <laughs> dedicated entirely to climate change. Insert, we'll like put the text box over our face. <laughs> it's, it's a great question. I think we're still figuring it out. That is a big part of the answer. A, a few of I, my ex-colleagues and actually friends from more specifically the climate industry have recently started moving into reinsurance climate change related roles, which is really exciting. So I'm getting a bit of information by osmosis through them about how on one hand it's a product innovation challenge. So clients are dealing with transition risks and environmental liability risks and all sorts of new uh, challenges to the way they used to do business. I mean, we're going at the moment through a gas and fuel crisis as a result of Ukraine, Russia, which is, accelerating I to some extent people's investment in other forms of energy all, all sorts of new risks are being thrown up there then there's projects going on around the world to I try and clean up oceans and to try and you know create new forms of of energy or use new forms of energy and transport etc so all that stuff's happening on the ground and meanwhile disaster frequency climate change itself whether uh, impacts are being felt in the form of more frequent floods, storms, wildfires, everything you can imagine being being thrown at us. Forty degrees in the UK the other day. Yeah, forty, I, 40 UK degrees yeah. centigrade. Yeah, I, I think 
it's one of those things that I, I think will be almost impossible to measure. If we just use the simple example of like huge heat waves across Europe, which isn't built for it. Um, trains and infrastructure begin to, to not work just during those couple of days. But the knock-on economic effect, that whether it's cancellation and ticket refunds and the uh, slow accumulation risk that begins to emerge, ignoring increased severity and frequency of catastrophes, and things, there's just so much little impact that continues to happen that sort of will be additive. I think we can think about many of those major categories as like these are risks there, but I think climate change, especially on the global a global risk basis, is going to have a profound impact on, and one that I don't think we'll be able to solve for. I think you'll be it'll sort of be embedded in a lot of the places as well as addressed more head on. Let me find us an expert yeah. and we'll do an episode especially yeah, on climate we change. Certainly do that. Um, how is Superseed funded and what factors impact how you get funding? Good question. So initially in the very very early days when Jared and I didn't know very much about investors, I guess in general, yeah. we relied on a very uh, generous and visionary individuals in our industry who knew what we wanted to try and do uh, and thought it was a great idea and wanted to back us. Uh, so they became angel investors, especially for us, really, to go and yeah. help our journey in creating at the time, you know, the sort of MVP <laughs> version that was Riskbook. And then as that snowballed, we had the excitement of being able to actually then go to the uh, the much bigger venture capitalist players like like seed camp who've you know funded the first big check into companies like revolut and transferwise and then you really get onto a conveyor belt to some extent of much larger independent software and tech venture firms that are looking for the next big thing that's going to change an industry enable new business models etc yeah um so, so for us it's been really kind of quite a traditional journey in some senses yeah yeah i definitely think that it's the earliest days were were probably the most difficult there because the firms who really understood us were the ones that we sort of had forever said we were not going to take their money right we're not we weren't going to take money from the strategic venture arms of most of the big insurers or reinsurers because we always knew go back to the Aon GC question that we thought it was it was important that we remain independent but so you take those firms away, we're more than happy to be like, this is really, we, what you guys are doing is super exciting. And we kind of went, thanks, and I would love to have your money. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but we can't have it. And so it, that first part of the journey was was more difficult. Once once we got momentum and got moving and we've made more and more progress. And we explained what reinsurance was. And everyone, everyone knew we know that was like, or reinsurance experts as well. Um, listen to the podcast if you want to invest in reinsurance. <laughs> um, then it became much more of like, here's how we're growing and this is what we're doing. And then it's it's more that traditional model. So that independence will always be critical to us. There's more and more firms that are opening up to us. And we, we have a lot of conversations with what our future investment might look like. Um, but but it's it's we've moved more into the big traditional venture capital firms than um, than the smaller angel investors and away from any sort of industry venture arms. Um, have you seen any unethical practices or questionable, questionable behavior while working in reinsurance? I think 
the Lloyd's Culture Report is probably the best summary of that. I I think all of us have, you know, been in workplaces, in, in other industries as well, where we've seen things like banter in particular. We've seen things, I, you know, regrettable ways of talking to or about colleagues or yeah. or similar. I, I, I don't want to say that reinsurance is especially bad within insurance and reinsurance. I don't want to, I don't think that would be a fair claim because I think if anything, reinsurance is a much smaller circle yep. and has a lot more of a familial feel in a way. Like people tend to like to be really nice to each other in reinsurance because they see each other all the time and hang out a lot. Uh, but certainly, yeah, there's always a few bad apples that spoil the bunch in any industry. So I, fortunately, I think now a spotlight is really being shone on that yep. and people are being encouraged to raise these kind of issues as soon as they see them. There's actual opportunities to report them. There's training for people who don't understand, you know, previously what, uh, inclusion looks like and doesn't look like and, and so on. So yeah. I, certainly I, that's changing in, in the right direction, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work to do. Um, and I've seen a lot, nothing that I would categorize as like egregious, mm. but certainly things that's just like, oh, come, like not, no one's going to like feel profoundly like unsafe from this interaction, but mm it should have been better. Like that person, like, come on, kind of, yeah. you know, where we're at this point now. Um, I think especially because we do have quite a, a big legacy of a drinking culture as well. Yeah. And the way that deals are done, yep. that occasionally people's senses of humor don't match with a, yeah. a tone that we would think would be acceptable. I, you get I to think, like playground style levels of humor and you're like, hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think um, when you when you try to tackle this, all you you have to start with like what can you control um and when we were in the industry we could control very little to some degree like besides filing a complaint to you know the head person of the hr head of the firm mm -hmm. that we were at or similar um but you could control your own sort of behavior and, and actions there the thing that i I like a bit more now, and I've made this abundantly clear to all of our female colleagues, is the threshold that, that I have for that happening is zero. And if, if any of our colleagues are in the market and they feel that they've gotten harassed, like that's something they bring to me, and I address that with the people who are at those firms who I can, like, it gets escalated very, very quickly. We've not mm. had that happen yet, but it's it's abundantly clear to our team that if that like this isn't an environment where you should feel like you have to kind of deal with something if you don't feel safe, um, but because of our roles now, we can control what we can control now, which is protecting our team, um, and making sure it, that our team protects others as well. Exactly, yeah. and, and you sort of embed that. Like so, we can do our little piece, um, but I think the industry as a whole is making some progress there, even if it's just the banter is being calibrated better now, or mm -hmm. even, you know, we're, we're still wrestling with other big, more systemic access issues perhaps. But I think a lot of those little things are happening. I think the work that Jonathan and the under 35s are doing with sort of instilling better behaviors in that sort of next generation of the industry, I think is all working towards that looking a lot better in the next sort of 
decade. Um, last question. That was in capitalized, so this is very important. That meant, that meant you're supposed to shout it. <laughs> <laughs> it was in capital letters. <laughs> last question for this Q&A. Um, this Q&A, which means there's another Q&A session happening in the future. Ooh. So watch this space. Um, what drove you to start a podcast specifically about reinsurance? I'm a big fan of the podcast. I especially love the analogy battles. Oh, that's very kind of them to say. This mysterious Gary from Gary from, from Chicago. somewhere, Chicago. Okay. So Gary from <laughs> Chicago, as a quick aside, um, Meta had this sort of all hands about like how the conditions are changing rapidly and, and TikTok's taking their lunch. They have no real vision to catching up with TikTok. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole doom and gloom all hands. Q&A starts. Gary from Chicago. Are we still getting like meta days, which are like extra days off? <laughs> 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 to which Mark Zuckerberg looks and he's like, I can assume you could tell from the tone of this conversation, but meta days are canceled. <laughs> and then all these tweets are like, RIP, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Poor Gary from Chicago. He had a good time whilst at meta. Indeed. Um, so what drove you to start a podcast specifically about reinsurance? I'm a big fan, especially love analogy battles. So we have to give massive credit to Cordy, who's our person behind the scenes, for conceptualizing that we could even do a, a podcast and convincing us that that was a pragmatic and, and feasible thing for us to do. I So hats off to him for that. I think when we talked about doing a podcast and discovered that there was no anything reinsurance related in the, the whole world of podcasting, I, we got super excited and we were like, oh, we're going to own that space then because <laughs> we love talking about reinsurance. There's loads of people out there who love talking about reinsurance and we're going to bring them all together and have some amazing conversations about reinsurance and it will be a, a happy little space for everybody's yeah. earbuds. Well, I think there's such a, an interesting, like the reinsurance people, like when they go out and they like they talk work stuff, there's all like it's such an interesting niche of the of the world. Um and when you find people and you meet people who are kind of in a similar space, it's but but nuanced. Ooh, analogy on the fly. But it it's similar to like, you know you meet a stranger at like work and they're like, Oh, I grew up in this city. And you're like, What part of that city? And you're like, Well, this area. It's like, what part of that area? It's like, well on that street. It's like I was on the like and it's the mm. like, I think when you meet people in reinsurance, it's similar. It's like, oh, but what firm? And like, what team? And like, what are you? And then you have, it's, it's like this immediate bond. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've tried to set out to do is kind of recreate a little bit of that on the sort of weekly basis. That's sort of a, welcome to your safe space reinsurance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be quite lonely, you know, in, in, in the market, even in Lloyd's, you know, which is unique among, well, fairly few places I can think of that are comparable in the sense that you can walk down the street and see lots of other insurance people around. But spotting the reinsurance people even then can be quite hard. You know, it's like one in 10 maybe at best who's from a reinsurance world. The rest are doing boring old insurance. <laughs> we like <laughs> pretending. We lost a listener. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, reinsurance is cooler. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, That's why yeah. it's the reinsurance podcast. <laughs> <laughs> If, there's an, if insurance was as cool, there'd be the insurance podcast, but come on. <laughs> They're shouting back into their headphones now. Reinsurance is just a part of insurance. <laughs> the best part. We're the niche. We're the category. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but that was sort of it. And I think um, 
we didn't really have huge like this is what we're going to do we're going to have this sort of massive vision to do and we're not doing like sponsorship or anything this is something we're just doing for fun um i mean unless you want to pay us money for doing this then yeah why not or send us stuff you can yeah, sponsored by the sweet new <laughs> Reese of rice <laughs> clothing range now available in extra small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you want us to plug your swag, send, we'll send you an address. What's that you're eating, Jared? <laughs> That's the new muck something burger. <laughs> Made it entirely. <laughs> I'm excited for this. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna spin us. We're gonna spin this right out. Yeah, send your proposals to Cordy, and he will yeah. be in touch. Um, but but we found that we really enjoy doing them, and it gives us further justification for like keeping up with the news and chatting about stuff. And um, we've always wanted this to, because of that sort of familial kind of sense of this nature, is this is very off the cuff, and we wanted this to kind of feel like all those conversations we've always had in the industry, or you know you have with new colleagues and things, is an extension of that. So. Um, Continue to send us things you like and suggestions and things, but you know we we have a lot of fun doing it. So I hope people have a lot of fun listening to it. And we learn a lot as well. We and we get to ask because we claim like <laughs> standard line. There's a lot of people listening to this podcast who might not know what that is. That word you just said. So could you explain? I also didn't know what you know. There's <laughs> <I heard laughs> moments ago. So so it's great for us in, in many ways to be able to bring on guests who are experts in their field and to really talk about the ins and outs of a given line of business or a approach to doing analytics or whatever it might be. I don't want to spoil any upcoming episodes, but we've got some really exciting guests mm -hmm. in the pipeline who are going to be talking about all those kind of bits of the industry that you wish you understood better and had all sorts of questions for. So yeah. we'll do our best to ask them the yeah. exciting things on your minds. Yeah. So keep feeding the Q&A because that also um, sends us things and guest ideas and stuff like this. So um, thank you everyone for listening and we're super excited to speak to you next time. Looking forward to it.